The views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, not of Reuters News. Grüezi and welcome to The Views Room, a weekly podcast brought to you by Reuters Breaking Views. I'm Rob Cox, the editor of Breaking Views, coming to you from my home in Zurich, Switzerland. This week, I rang up Sharon Lamb in Hong Kong to hear how she's been coping with the city's lurching from unofficial lockdown back to work and again to a sort of self-imposed stay at home. We also discussed a feature she published this week that looked at the future of travel, both leisure and business. Her conclusion is that while there will be a return to the road, it will be a long and increasingly cumbersome process. Health immunization documents could become as vital as passports. Domestic driving vacations are in. Global air traffic, meanwhile, is expected to slow to a compound annual growth rate of about 4.6% through the next eight years, from an estimated 5.1% before the crisis hit. And business travelers, people like you and me, will be finding creative digital ways to avoid packing up our Samsonites. After that, I had the pleasure of being interviewed by Lisa Yuka, our Milan columnist, about a column I had written this week on how Switzerland has been rapidly relaxing virus-related restrictions. It's quite different than the situation just south of the border in Italy, where Lisa gives us some sights into how Milan, one of the worst-hit cities in the world from the virus, is moving forward. In both cases, we need to watch for any recurrence of COVID-19 cases before becoming too optimistic. But I was happy to hear Lisa plans for her first pizza al fresco in Milan this weekend. Like all our friends in Italy, she deserves it after a pretty difficult quarantine. Enjoy the show. Hi, Sharon. How are you? I'm good. I'm, um, I'm doing well at home, going a little stir crazy, but otherwise good. How are you? I'm fine. I'm I'm also going only only slightly stir crazy. But I mean, Hong Kong, you have been already dealing with the protests and that kind of thing, which uh, some of which actually occurred in our offices there in Hong Kong. Then you had the um, the outbreak of the pandemic. You kind of came back to the office a bit, and now now. So how, what what has that been like? A bit of a yo-yo effect. Yeah, exactly. So there was a period when things seemed to be calming down and then there was kind of a, a resurgence of imported cases. So since then, there's kind of been some quarantining happening. Hong Kong has extended its social distancing rules. So it's still banning public gatherings of more than eight people. And I think it's just extended that to, to early June. Um, earlier, it was only four people allowed. And I think there might be some exemptions for religious groups, but generally I think things are picking back up. So, you know, sports halls are back open, as are movie theaters, um, restaurants, people are kind of out and about. Do you have to, when you go to a movie theater or a restaurant, what's the, what is the protocol now? Do you have to be two meters apart? Yeah, I believe, I haven't been to the the cinema or the, the movie theaters, but at restaurants, there's definitely the two meters part thing. There's partitions in between if there aren't already like booths in the restaurant. So I think restaurants are generally observing that. And people are also starting to go to bars and things. So I think the mood is a little bit more relaxed than it was. I can't, I can't even imagine Hong Kong without people going to bars. <laughs> right? It's... Embedded in the it's kind of it's raison d'etre. Yeah. So have you been have you been to any parties? As you as you say, you can only have four people. You you doubled the number to eight. So have you thrown a big party of eight people yet? <laughs> I haven't personally, but I did do a potluck, so that was nice. But it was only four people, so it was, a, it was like a little small affair. But it was nice to to see people after kind of being cooped up alone for for so long for months I now. Bet. Oh, yeah. is that right? And are you can't wait to get back to the office in Taiku. 
Yeah, so I think the work from home has been extended till October or something. So not sure yeah. what's happening with that. But yeah, I'm eager to, to get back at some point. I think it'll be nice to have social interaction with colleagues. Right, right. Well, in the meantime, you wrote a great piece this week, um, a, a feature really about the return or the, the failure of the return or whatever it is about travel and the idea that you've looked at previous hits to the travel industry or traveling, you know, whether it was 9-11, SARS, some of these other things, and you tried to extrapolate a bit into, into the future for us about what it holds. So why don't you try to sum up it was a big piece, but uh, it would be great just to sort of hear your big picture view on what's the future of travel, the sort of 18 months to two year future of travel. Right. I think it's it's good that you point out kind of the time frame because it obviously depends on what time we're, we're talking about. So if there's a cure or a treatment or some kind of vaccine that's discovered, then it probably will be a bit more positive in terms of what, what will happen. And it's also quite difficult to predict when people will get back on the road. There have been some really grim forecasts. The IATA, for instance, which is the aviation trade group, expects that air travel won't rebound to, to last year's level until 2023 at the um, earliest. Global tourist arrivals worldwide are also expected to fall by you know up to 30%, which is much steeper than, say, the um, 4% after the financial crisis. But I think ultimately, People who have been cooped up for months will get back on the road. And I think consumer behavior is, is difficult to change. And ultimately, people might, you know, start off with closer domestic destinations before well, they... Well, that's what, yeah, you wrote, you talk about domestic driving vacations making um, a comeback in places right. where, well, flights are grounded or national borders are closed. But I guess it's a bit harder to do in Hong Kong. You can't just get on your car. Yeah. I guess you could drive out to the, you know, the border of China or... Lantau, but it's not, you know, there you're talking about big places like Europe or United States. Yeah, where road trips, I guess, are a bit more common. You know, I think the big focus of my piece was kind of on airlines. And mm -hmm. there will be, I think, quite lasting changes to come out of this pandemic. And, you know, the first thing is probably a lot of the social distancing uh, norms that we've been observing, like, you know, temperature checks will be in effect. There'll probably be you know, deeper cleaning of planes. And I even was speaking to someone who was telling me that airlines might start to, to do kind of advertisements for clean air as a, as a way to kind of lure travelers on, on board. Well, they the say it's not that the, the air is relatively, it's circulated, it's clean. It's in some cases, it's cleaner than the air you might breathe on a train or certainly the tube or the metro or something. Yeah, I think it's probably just to ease people's fears of climbing back into metal box and, and to be being surrounded by people with less circulation than you would say. Well, you know, that's right. Through. One of the things you point to in the story is, you know, after 9-11, you had this, there was, remember there was this infamous shoe bomber, this guy who tried to light his his sneaker um, using matches or something. He had some explosive in it. He was caught and everything. But we changed protocols. That was the beginning of things like having to take off your shoes unless you have special dispensation. So some of the things you've pointed out in your piece that we might have to see new boarding protocols, you mentioned temperature checks, and I've already seen that. Mm -hmm. Even before lockdowns, I had been zapped with one of those <laughs> things. I was coming across the, or into the Italian, over the Italian border. They're doing that and now at stores. You know, I was at the Apple store recently, same thing. They Before mm -hmm. you can go in, they check your temperature. You quote this guy, Gary Kelly, in your piece, Southwest Airlines CEO, saying, what is he saying? They're basically gonna, they're yeah. gonna have to keep middle seats empty? 
Right. Yeah. So, so middle seats. Well, I don't think for his airlines they they are necessarily keeping them empty, but he did say that many of them would be empty for a while, and you know that's a huge cost to to airlines. Um, you know, there's right. the IATA did a survey recently, and and they said that, um, you know, the the maximum load factor, which is kind of the average number of seats you need to fill in order for the airlines to break even. Um, on an operating basis could fall to 62% if we kind of continue to see social distancing. Um, and that's that's well below the current factor, which right. is 77%. So if you have f- fewer seats to sell, then the unit costs will will kind of rise quite sharply. And then you can kind of expect fares to, to go up also quite dramatically. And, and some people are predicting they could go up as much as 54% depending on, on the region just to break even. Just the fares because you need to fill it in, yeah. But at the same time, I mean, one of the things that people have noted, I, and just the other day I was looking, buying a flight back to New York from Switzerland. I mean, it was amazing how low, I mean, it was, you know, $500 round trip. I mean, that one, just an economy flight. So, and, and then when you look, when I looked online at the, at the seating chart, mm-hmm. <laughs> like you have your, you have your pick of the entire airplane. <laughs> right. Kind of shocking. You also mentioned some destinations could fare better than others based on things like whether or not they have developed healthcare, well-developed healthcare systems, and I suppose how they did during this pandemic. Right. I think people, you know, they will be antsy and eager to get back um, to traveling, but they'll probably be being a bit more selective with the places they go to. Um, I think ease of, of getting quality healthcare will probably be one of the kind of big determining factors for opting for different uh, locations to visit. So, yeah. Where's your next vacation going to be? Um, I haven't planned it yet. I don't know. We'll see. But another thing that's, you know, I guess you could say optimistic, but also mm. somewhat disconcerting is that the cruise industry, which has been kind of this hotbed for for the coronavirus or has yeah. had quite a few cases, seems to be expecting some kind of recovery soon. I know Carnival, which is one of the big cruise operators, are expecting to, to restart voyages again in August. And a lot of the passengers a lot of the trips that were canceled um, for the ca- passengers actually. They took credits, half. right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They, wanna... they can't wait to get trapped on another cruise ship somewhere <laughs> where they are not allowed to dock because people are filling up the refrigerators with bodies. I don't understand that at all. <laughs> I can't understand why someone would get on a cruise. Yeah, Just... so that there's that appetite for that, which is a little <laughs> unsettling. <laughs> um, and, then, and then some of the other things you point to, is there, there, there may be sort of weird passports type things that we're going to have to think about, like whether or not there is health immunization documents and things like that. Is that likely, you think? I think I'm pretty sure the WHO said that that probably wouldn't be a great thing to, to do or or to, to have that. But I do think that, you know, countries will be much more selective with letting people in and out and, and kind of border control will be much more intensified after this pandemic. So I don't see why that wouldn't become as important as carrying like your regular travel documents. I guess the um, hard thing is, if, you know what, now when you go, I mean, I've been to countries where you have to have yellow fever or other vaccinations, you have to prove that you've had it. And I've had to, got, had to get the vaccination before going there and show them that. The issue is we don't have the vaccination. So I guess the, the hard part of that is, if you, you know, there's these serology tests where you can say, oh, look, I've already had it or I have some, we don't even know that that developed, you develop immunity. And the other problem is if people say, oh, if you've had it already, you prove that you've had COVID-19, then you have more freedoms than people who have not. But of course, all sorts of people, 
particularly young people like you might decide that, oh, well, I can just go get it, and that way I can uh, get it. Oh, gosh. No, but that is create this, like, weird uh, perverse incentive for people to get it, I suppose. Yeah, perverse incentive is correct. (laughs) (laughs) Now, let's just let one last thing, business travel. So we were talking more about some leisure and that kind of thing. Business travel, of course, is, you know, we're talking about trillions of dollars worldwide of money that's spent on people, you know, traveling for work and what's the what's the word there i mean is that going to be first out of the gate or is that going to be one that people can just find a way to curtail right so uh business travel has been has been growing pretty exponentially and it's projected to almost top two trillion by by 2022 and it, it makes up for for quite a bit in asia alone and i think what this pandemic has has kind of shown is that um, a lot of things that you previously had to do through long-haul flights, IPO roadshows, general conferences, whatnot, um, actually can be done from your computer screen. So with you know all that spending that goes into it, and as people get so used to kind of telecommuting, I think a lot of managers and, and big organizations will realize that having these corporate shindigs can be quite expensive, and there might be kind of a decline. We might start to see a decline in, in this, this kind of travel. I think leisure travel will still pick up, but business travel might wane a little bit. So you're least. saying the, the, the breaking views, uh, global offsite that we had last year, not going to happen this year. I think you're probably right. <laughs> Maybe not, but I would hope it does soon. Anyways. And I wanted to bring everyone to Hong Kong this time. Hey, that's an idea. That, that would All be right. fun, actually. Let's plan that for 2021. Okay. <laughs> Well, thank you very much, Sharon. Uh, Be safe out there. Say hello to lovely Hong Kong. I hope to see you soon. All right. Thanks so much, Rob. Take care. Bye. Thanks. Bye. So, Rob, you've been in Zurich since the beginning of the year, and the pandemic hit shortly after you moved to the the city. So, you know, I'm curious to to hear from you how it has been, you know, living through this pandemic experience. uh, in the Swiss Alps. Well, yeah, no, well, uh, buongiorno, grutzi, as they say here, as uh, I know you lived here for, for quite some time. Look, it's been, um, as my column this week suggested, it's gonna been a sort of surprising, uh, surprisingly luxurious quarantine. Um, you know, the, the place has not had the kind of the, the issues, I mean, Zurich certainly hasn't had the kind of issues that you've seen in New York. Um, or uh, Paris or London, both in terms of the fatalities. I mean, we've, we've certainly, Switzerland as a whole has had some issues and we can go into that, um, but many of them are on the border of France and Italy. Um, and the city, you know, maybe it's a question of it not being as dense, you know, as some of those places, um, but it is, you know, it is. it has been surprisingly, I don't want to say relaxed, it's just that people follow the rules. It's a bit like, you remember when I was moving here, Lisa, and I, I know you, you gave me a book, I think I still have it somewhere here. It's like Guide to Living in Zurich or something. And the things in there that, you know, and the, and the things you told me, be careful, like don't mix your rubbish with your recycling and put it out on the wrong day, lest you, um, you know, earn the derision of your neighbors and they call the police on you, that kind of thing. I mean, I, you know, that sort of notion of it almost being an oppressive society. But I don't think it's, I think it's much more a nuance than that. I think it's more about, there's just an incredible respect for for rules. Um, and there is also a respect for what the authorities tell people, which I think is a, an interesting distinction. Yeah, I mean, would, would you say there is a trust to the state? I mean, I, I remember the place being disciplined and with an amazing civic sense but also this, you know, very close 
relationship citizen state in Switzerland? I mean, has that played a role? Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. I mean, again, it's some of the things you told me before I moved here are proving absolutely correct. And, you know, this idea that there's a very strong social contract and that um, you don't, you, you follow the rules, they're there for a reason so that everyone can have their enjoyment or whatever, you know, live their lives the way they want to live them. There's, so it's not, it's not sort of like oppressive. I don't think it's anything like that. Um, although that you, you could think of it from the outside. And before I came, I was worried it might be like that. It's much more, it's almost what the, you know, in Americans, you, in America, you might call libertarian in a sense. Like, you know, this is a place where no one, if you ride your bicycle around without a helmet, Nobody's going to stop you. No policeman is going to say, you know, beep, beep, you know, you need to put your helmet back on. Um, you know, there's a sort of sense of freedom um, that you don't find in many places. and You don't have that nanny state that um, that you see in other places. Yeah. Um, yet at the same time, you know, you know what you're supposed to do. You know how you're supposed to operate. And if everybody does that, then there's no need for more, you know, a more oppressive and um, less libertarian and less free society. And I think that's, I think that's played a role. And then, you know, just looking at the, at the, the experience that Switzerland has had generally um, under COVID-19, if you, as you may recall, you, you were one of the, I think you wrote the first sort of life under lockdown, um, apart yeah. from what our colleagues had written in, in, in Hong Kong, um, you had written this because Italy went quickly into lockdown. Well quicker than most places in Western Europe and the United States in late February. And you wrote the sort of life under lockdown uh, column that lots of people read. And I remember interviewing you I'll, I'll do for this podcast over that. And, you know, it was, um, it, this country was quite slow to respond relative to what, it, you know, Italy was much faster. And uh, with, its, with its both local and national guidelines and lockdowns, whereas here, and this may be, you, you have some experience with this, you know, there's a different system of governance. So you have cantonal authorities are kind of, seem to have like a lot more power than regions do in Italy, or even in some cases states do in the United States. But they also, um, there is also this sort of federal council, which begrudgingly makes overrules cantonal authorities. And I think it was because they took a while to get their act together. Seven people on this federal council. They choose every other every year. I think they have a new president, which is yeah, also amazing. Right. You ask you ask Swiss people who's the president of Switzerland. They're like, well, I don't know. Let me like it changes every year. Let me take a look. Google it. You know. Now everybody knows who the president is now because she's played an, uh, an active role. But it is quite. It's a different system. But once they were able to go into this. They Once they were able to issue federal guidelines, it's like overnight, things like barriers to go out on the, on the, along the lakeside where I used to run, um, you know, overnight they appeared. Um, and then in the end, they didn't, you, despite all this, you didn't have this sort of, there wasn't rebellion. You didn't have, okay, India's on the one side where you see these policemen like smacking guys with sticks for being out on the street. Um, or you saw like the, the Italian mayors. I love that video of all the mayors sort of screaming about how their people need to get back indoors. Um, or in the United States where fines are being issued and people are being shamed for not wearing masks when they go for a run. You know, none of that happened here. Um, there was one weekend where the Neue Zürcher Zeitung, the main paper here, had published the police blotter. Um, and, and it was mainly to say like, all right, how are, are people coping with this? And there were like four infractions on a whole, like a holiday weekend and they were like I mean honestly they were like an there was like a homeless guy who like urinated on a police van 
And that was, but it wasn't because people having giant parties or, or, or violating the rules. It's, um, it's an approach, I would say, I mean, this, uh, you know, relationship of respect and trust between the citizen and the state that goes back a very long time. I mean, the Swiss Federation has existed, you know, pretty much in its current form mm. for several centuries. So it's, it's quite, you know, it dates, it's been going on for so long, people trust the system. But what you described is, is in very much uh, in stark contrast with what we have seen in Italy, where the situation is the opposite, I would say. Yeah, tell me, how are, how are you, when we, when we talked about this uh, for this podcast, whatever it was, six, six eight weeks ago, um, it was just at the start. Now you are getting to the point where I think uh, you could go to the hairdresser or you yes. can, you know, there are certain things that are, uh, yeah, how, how would you compare it or contrast it with what you've I seen mean, elsewhere? What I would say is, okay, finally, I mean, as, as, as you mentioned, as of Monday, um, hairdressers and also bars and restaurants and, you know, a lot of small shops have reopened. So th this, this has been quite a big step, if you want, into easing the country uh, out of the big quarantine that we've been going through. Um, but it's been a very different experience. I mean, there's, there's two months of lockdown in Italy right. from what you described. First of all, because the citizens, I mean, do not trust the state. Unfortunately, there is a tendency of uh, trying to bend the rules as much as possible or sort of find some wiggle room. I mean, this is also due to the fact that the state is, you know, cumbersome, complicated. And there's a lot of red tape where in Switzerland, where you live, it's everything is simple and crystal clear. But in any case, I mean, th this is the attitude here. So I would say the government took a really paternalistic approach. So mm -hmm. really cracking down on people, telling them what to do, you know, limiting their liberties as much as possible. I mean, at one point, well, at one point, for two months, I, I really couldn't leave the house. I mean, you could go as far as maybe 200 meters from your residence and, you know, wow. from there shopping, and that was really constraining um, to the utmost. Um, and obviously, we are trying to reverse that now slowly, but the question is, will people stick to the rules or general guidance? You know, will they keep social distancing? This is also, as we've discussed in the, in the past, I mean, the Italian society is a very sort of warm and open and a society that thrives on, you know, being with family and friends as much as possible. I, I would say maybe in Switzerland, there's a little bit more distance, you know, in, in yes, general. Yes, it's Germanic, it's much colder. I mean, the, 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 the love and lovely aspect of Italian culture and life is that openness. It is that, oh, you know, the the beautiful life of of of, uh, of Italy. I mean, I just it's hard to imagine a place where you have to social distance being more difficult than, you know, Italy, in my mind. Yeah, I mean, totally. I mean, what, what I've noticed in the first few days since the lockdown has eased is that obviously people, you know, really want to get out. I mean, many people, I mean, some elderly people are, are definitely scared because the death rates have been quite high, as you know, in Italy, but, you know, for sure, the younger, I mean, this, as soon as possibility was there, they, they stormed the parks, you know, people finally were able to go cycling, to go jogging more freely, right. to, to do a, a sport. And I have seen this in Milan, you know, with my own eyes, uh, you know, quite, uh, quite openly. And as of the last two days, people even started to go back to bars and restaurants. I mean, it, it's not super crowded. I mean, it's just the beginning of the week as well. We'll have to see at the weekend, but the weather is nice. And I think there, there is a, um, well, a desire, if you want, from some part of the population to finally 
enjoy, you know, those those habits, you know, the pizza with maybe a couple of friends or finally. Have you have you you have your kids back at school or is ever are the kids still No, the school is still um so, well not suspended. I mean basically the schools are closed. There's only yeah. video lessons or homeschooling and uh, the, the the government uh, intends to reopen them maybe in September. So wow. it's really uh, that's that's a big issue because as you can imagine that also limits the possibilities of people to go back to work. And I'm not talking about office workers. Many of those will keep on doing smart working, but you know, for the shops, the restaurants, the bars, you know, the hairdressers to be reopened, these people need to be able not to you know to go to work without having to to care for the children at the same time. Right. So this is a bit of a conundrum the government hasn't addressed and. Uh, it's, it's problematic, particularly for women and low-income families. Sure. Yeah, two, two thoughts, just like long-term. What do you think will, what lesson has, will Italy draw from this in terms of, you know, how it might, you know, are people more confident and, and have more faith now in the government? Will that change the way, um, you know, Italian attitudes uh, towards the state have been in the past? And second, like, do you, um, you know, the economy has, it's really, Italy was already fragile in terms of, uh, of e its economic growth. We really only saw a return in the last couple of years to growth. Uh, you know, what, what, what long-term effects do you think this will have? I think that uh, at the moment, the government, and in particular the Prime Minister Giuseppe Conte, is rather popular. I think that uh, people um, in general like the fact that he seemed to really take actions to protect people. However, my concern, is that as, as the evidence that the economy will be crashing, you know, seeps in and it becomes, you know, apparent that lots of jobs will be lost, it, you know, that that popularity may change. Mm. I mean, you know, the, the, isn't there movement? I mean, I've heard there's movement afoot, you know, within the coalition between the PD and the Five Star to kind of wriggle out of this coalition at some point. Well, the coalition was was never an easy one, as you know, because this is a, a bit of an awkward marriage of a sort of an established party, the PD, and, and an anti-establishment party, the Five mm -hmm. Star. So it was always a, a, a bit shaky. Um, they, they are at risk every day. I mean, every day there is a challenge. My, my feeling is that they'll try to stick together as long as they can, because the moment they break up, I mean, this time there will be early elections. I mean... Uh, it, it is quite obvious that, you know, if this coalition breaks down, we'll go to elections and other parties in particular, maybe Salvini, maybe the hard right, which has gained a lot of... So this is the League, the Nat, the Nat, what are they called now? Oh, the, sorry, the, the League, uh, led by Matteo Salvini, and then another party, which is on the right, is the... Is it Fratelli d'Italia or something Fratelli like that? Yeah, Fratelli d'Italia, and they've almost doubled their support there now. And are they like neo, kind of Mussolini? Well, types. they are neo-fascist, I would say. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, they, they don't like to be called like that, but I would say certainly, you know, they like that heritage and they are definitely in the sort of hard right camp, you know, nationalist as much as you can think. So, right. so these parties are quite popular. Um, so that's uh, the fear of facing an election is was what's keeping the government together. But as I said, you know, it's fragile. Every day there's a challenge. So, you know. All right. Well. Lisa, thanks for the chat. Thanks for asking me about Switzerland. I know you know it well, and uh, I always am happy to hear about um, things improving in in one of my favorite cities in the world, Milan. 
and where are you going to get your first restaurant meal outside? I will go to Arco della Pace, which is just by the Sempione Park, and get a pizza sitting outside finally, you know, after two and a half months. All right, well, in the sunshine. Buon appetito. Grazie. Ciao. Ciao. That's all for this week. I'd like to thank Sharon and Lisa, and hats off to Jamie Lowe in Hong Kong, Oliver Taslich in London, and our producer, Freddie Joyner in New York. Our final thanks go to you, our listeners, for tuning in. Subscribe to The Views Room and our sister podcast, The Exchange, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast fixes. Check us out every day at BreakingViews.com, and don't forget to tune in next week for another edition. Auf Wiedersehen, and stay healthy.